Welcome to Convo Lounge Expression Exposure Experience. Convo Lounge Expression Exposure Experience as we continue to have conversations that drive social and economic growth. We're so grateful to have you joining and engaging us on our different social media platforms using the hashtag and handle at Convo Lounge Africa. And uh, remember to subscribe to be part of our community. Officially, another brand new episode of the Convo Lounge podcast. Welcome to it. Uh, we are going to continue having, you know, these different conversations as we try to provide solutions and have conversations around the unemployment problem in our country, in our economy, how we could possibly bring, you know, solutions to the problem that we see happening in our economy. And I have I hear today a very good uh, friend of the podcast, I'll call you that. Um, and thank you very much for joining us, Professor JP. Um, allow me to call you to call you that. And uh, we first met at the Engineering Week Forum where you had a presentation on work integrated learning. And we thought this is a very um, great uh, concept that we would like to have a bit more uh, conversations on so that we could understand how it could possibly bring solutions to the problem of unemployment that is within our economy. Uh, perhaps maybe we could start off conversation by getting a bit of an introduction uh, from you. I tried to bring your 40 years a plus of work and compress it into two minutes for introduction. So uh, I, I didn't do a good job at it. So I'm going to allow you to uh, introduce yourself. Maybe you could do a better job at it. Well, <clears throat> thank you very much uh, for the invitation to be on your show. And hello to all viewers. Uh, you asked me to uh, compress 40 years into two minutes. I I'd rather compress it into 30 seconds. And just say that for most of my uh, career, I've worked on uh, transforming cities um, to to host change, to be able to incubate change and to be able to manage change more easily. And uh, the kind of change that Botswana is embarked on right now, from a resource-intensive economy to a human capital-based economy, requires adjustments throughout the society um, and it requires uh, many different sectors yeah. to see value in one another. Yeah. So doing that kind of work, which is really impossible work, yeah. <laughs> is what I've been uh, doing. Yeah for most of my career. Yes. So let's look at um, maybe currently right now, there's always been a decry when it comes to this issue of unemployment of a skills mismatch between what the quality of the students that have been released by higher education institutions and what the industry uh, really require. And then the question that we could ask ourselves if there is a problem with the education system or what is the problem? Uh, I think it's very easy to point fingers in a situation like that, yeah. but very difficult to get different stakeholders such as educators and employers uh, to, to agree on a satisfactory solution. So rather than uh, encourage viewers to kick the can down the road and then have it kicked back by the employers, I would ask you to uh, consider the great difficulties that are faced by a, a university such as our national university. It really has to uh, play a part in three different systems. Yeah. 
One system is a system of education, which goes way beyond the university and is now a lifelong uh, learning scenario. Uh, and the system of education really determines how good the university can be. The university does not create it. The university draws from it. The second system is the system of science, the system of research. Uh, to what extent is the society knowledge creating and knowledge growing? And again, the university, although it does a lot of research, it hosts a lot of research, is not the national system of research. Yeah. So the health of the national system of research reflects directly on what the university can do. And finally, the university is part of the system of public goods. By that, I mean things which citizens are entitled to. And citizens are entitled to career opportunities. Um, and the university can qualify you for a career opportunity. It can take you up to a certain point, but it cannot provide the career opportunity unless, of course, you want to go back and work in the university. Yeah. So the university is only as good as these three systems. So to point fingers at the university before understanding the health and the status and the management quality of those three national systems is not helpful. Yeah. But, but when you look back at how maybe the government of Botswana has really got to invest a lot on education. I mean, right now we have... Uh, a workforce that has gone to one of the best universities um, in the world when you look at the past, right? And then we have been developing a lot of infrastructure that could possibly now feed back into development of the economy as a whole. Did we do enough to turn this investment or on education to come now and work on the infrastructure that is already laid down in, in the economy so that it could be beneficial for, for us? Well, in my view, you, you have even done too much. Yeah. Uh, you may be ahead of yourself as a country because yeah. we often lose sight of the fact that Botswana is very young. Yeah. If Botswana were a human, you would be maybe an 11 year old. Yeah. Um, and this is not to say Botswana is immature. Botswana is very mature compared to, to, to most other countries in the world. But you had to come from a situation where you provided educational infrastructure almost from scratch. Yeah. Uh, and then you had to create a university because uh, your access to a regional university was destroyed uh, by its, the seizure of that university by the government of Lesotho at that yeah. time. And we all know the story of how the University of Botswana was crowdfunded but that is merely 40 years ago. And 40 years is really the childhood of a university. If you think about our recent guests from University of Toronto, they'd been in the game eight times longer than University of Botswana. But I was um, very pleased uh, to see the sophisticated one-on-one -on -one level of engagement that happened. Yeah. between the University of Botswana and the University of Toronto. So this maturity of the one and the newness of the other yeah. did not count against uh, Botswana. Yeah. 
So certainly the government has paid a premium uh, on education and the government has created human capital through that policy long before the human capital growth policy of 1996 came into play. You have got cosmopolitan human capital in this country and um, it's not a matter of lacking human capital. Yeah. It's a matter of finding the best way to turn it into a resource yeah. by managing it to become a resource. Yeah. Otherwise, it is just a very beautiful stockpile yeah. of very, very clever and, and very cosmopolitan people. Yeah. And, and with that investment, I think we've gotten to a point where now a majority of them, these people who have done or have gone through training come back and serve in the public sector um, as opposed to having maybe developing the private sector, which could possibly be a solution to creating even more uh, job opportunities. Um, I, I prefer to say create careers. Yes. Um, and careers come not just in the private sector. The, the public sector is an enormous employer. And of course, civil society could become an enormous employer yeah. if we could get past this stage of, of reliance on NGOs. Yeah. Uh, so careers exist everywhere uh, in Botswana. And it's, it's not a matter of the private sector having some special advantage yeah. in order to grow jobs. Um, it's a matter of the private sector having a client to buy all of this product and service from them. Yeah. That's also true of your public sector. Your public sector has some extraordinary uh, uh, achievements which could be sold to other public sectors in SADC. So... <clears throat> All of your sectors are possibly exporters yeah. and therefore creators of revenue uh, for the country. So we should not just single out the private sector and burden them particularly uh, with taking the lead. Yeah. Let's get to, 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 to uh, the presentation that you made at the Engineering Week Forum where you're talking about um, work integrated learning, uh, just to maybe understand what work integrated learning is and how it would uh, could possibly bring a solution to the problem of unemployment that we uh, see in, in our country, looking at how you know the education system has been going for so long and where we are trying to head to. The education system really has been tasked with providing too much. It's like tasking your obstetrician with raising your child <laughs> and doing the 21st birthday and yeah. so on. Uh, <clears throat> and work integrated learning uh, wants to make use of the many different learning sites that are available in this country uh, through experiential learning process. By experiential learning process, I'd like you to think of something like the Google campus. Yeah. The Google campus is not about classrooms and curricula and certificates. Yeah. It's about bringing together very uh, powerful, uh, smaller organizations with strong ideas and um, putting them in, into a large network and into an incubational environment. If you think about the Google campus as a model, and it's not a very complex or difficult model, your private sector right now uh, contains all of the cutting edge knowledge, 
equipment expertise yeah. because it needs to grow into a human capital economy. It needs to export. Um, and so the, the investment in knowledge in the private sector is far higher than the investment in knowledge in, in parts of the education system. So why would we want to leave that massive investment in knowledge on the shelf? Yeah. Work integrated learning wants to make experience in the different sectors available as a qualification, as a credit bearing exercise. Yeah. And that means creating something like a Google campus environment yeah. Yeah. within each of our 22 main sectors. Once you have that, uh, you can start to integrate it with the university or the uh, college curriculum, which, as I said, are trying to do too much. Yeah. Um, and together, you can create a complete qualification that the sector will be happy with because they are the ones who are co-designing it yeah. and that the universities will be happy with because they're the ones who do the preparation for careers yeah. but often don't have that living link to the careers. Yeah. But but how, how different is it from your internships and your attachments? Because I think uh, part of our curriculum school, there's a portion of um, our program where we have to go into the field and have a three months attachment. Um, how different then is it for, from it? I think attachment and internship um, ask too much from the person who is attached and interned. Um, they are being put in what's called a convivial learning environment. In other words, learning things from watching other people do stuff. But very often, uh, you know, in, internship does not lead, uh, to employment and it does not lead to uh, gaining key, uh, skills for a sector mm. because interns are not given large responsibilities. Yeah. With work integrated learning, you would be employed. So if you wish to study something, you would first go and get a job commitment from a company in that sector. And then you would apply to study for the study program. Oh, okay. And if you lose your job, you fail. Yeah. Just as if you don't pass your exams, yeah. you fail. So that is true work integrated learning. And since you are employed, you are given all of the, uh, um, responsibilities and the powers and decision-making of an employee, but obviously with support. And that's where a curriculated experiential learning site becomes important because it provides that support. So think of being a trainee pilot. You're not just sent up in, in, in the jet and told, I hope you come back. Yeah. You are sent up with a training wheel environment, but it's not a classroom because you are actually flying the plane. Yeah. So in our current setting, how then do you propose that we, we go about it to introduce it to the current um, system of how we're doing things? I believe in working with what we've got in doing yeah. the best of what we've got. And uh, where we met at the engineering week, um, you find engineers who are already doing a lot of the, of the components of experiential learning. They, uh, they assess um, learning programs. If the engineers don't like the 
university engineering program, then the engineering professional body will say, we're not going to take engineers from this program. So they have a very important role in the quality assessment of what counts as an engineer. They have very intensive kinds of internship. I would not even call it return internship because once you have qualified, you then have to undergo uh, placement in a number of different roles and you have to carry them out to their satisfaction that you can manage yourself as an engineer. And then you're allowed to write the professional practice exam and so on. And thirdly, they, they take on the responsibility of constantly educating their members. They have um, programs of continuous professional education. They make sure that the engineering knowledge base is constantly up to date. And all of this is done in the public interest to make sure that engineers don't go out and kill everybody when they design a bridge. So this is already a a framework for the kinds of things you would want from work-integrated learning, and hence a pilot project, starting with the professional engineer sector, uh, would be a good illustration of what work-integrated learning can do without having to make it from scratch. Yeah. All right, let's go for a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation here on the Convo Lounge podcast as we are continuing to have these different conversations around the issues of unemployment within our economy, how we could possibly bring solutions to this problem. Convo Lounge, expression, exposure, experience. Welcome back to the Kumba Lounge podcast and remember to engage us on our different social media platforms using the hashtag and handle at Kumbo Lounge Africa or use our WhatsApp line plus 267-7651-992. We're here on the Kumba Lounge podcast today, continue our conversation around work integrated learning and how it could possibly be a solution to the problem of unemployment in our economy. And just before we went to the break, we're still having a conversation of how we could possibly go about it into introducing it to uh, the economy. Earlier on, you mentioned that there are about you know, 22 other sectors uh, that we could actually tap into that. But my question then would be, which one would be easier or quicker for us to pilot with uh, so that we could understand if it's going to work, um, look at the problems that are there and try to solve it before you can replicate it to other sectors? Yeah, I think the the secret there is to find a sector that is already doing most of the things that you want it to do in order to become an accreditable experiential learning site. Yeah. Obviously, the engineering sector does it and, and, and every other profession governed by a professional body does it. But we have to look at areas uh, that are very much also in the national interest. So in Botswana, our our bioeconomy, which is health, environment, agriculture, etc., is probably our our biggest knowledge-driven and human capital-based sector. So it would be important to do something uh, in agriculture um, because agriculture uh, allows for um, for a number of solutions which are used now, but they really haven't been formalized. They haven't been clearly articulated and supported. Um, 
And I would say another is uh, something that some people regard as a problem child, and that is manufacturing. When we talk about manufacturing, we think of you know manufacturing steam trains like the things behind us. <laughs> But today, um, manufacturing is more or less monopolized by China, by Vietnam, uh, when it comes to consumer goods and precision electronics and so on. So our, our really um, important opportunities in, in manufacturing will be niche type of opportunities and things that are very design intensive, uh, things that are driven by skills that are not available uh, everywhere else in the world. Yeah. An example of that would be, say, uh, the fact that most Formula One cars and um, competition uh, automobiles come from a little triangular area in the UK. Everybody is there. Uh, and that's because it concentrates skills for that kind of unique automobile. Uh, and the same is true of Northern Italy. You, you don't have uh, a farming economy and then suddenly they're making plows and tractors and so on. You have a farming economy and then they're making high fashion in Milan, world-class films, Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Ducati and so on. So, so this kind of manufacturing is something we want to leap to. Uh, and manufacturing of content in the creative industries, films, music content, and so on. Yeah. That is definitely a form of, of manufacturing that is human capital intensive. Yeah. So if we broaden our understanding of manufacturing, let's say manufacturing should be the third one, along with agriculture yes. and the professions. Yes. So what I pick from uh, what you're saying is then uh, work integrated learning could be a catalyst for, for innovation and how would it then enhance you know, creativity in that space? Work integrated learning always follows in the footsteps of the smarter sectors. And by smarter, I mean sectors that are aware that they originate knowledge and aware that they need to manage that knowledge if it's going to be an asset, because nothing that's not managed can be an asset. And once they have that, they can grow that knowledge and redesign that knowledge for export into the static region. So we always think of export as a product, a bag of flour or something. Yeah. But strictly speaking, the greatest export in the SADC region would be for us to provide access to our knowledge base and then for people to import themselves and their money and spend their money on working with us, mm. on startups, on learning, on research, etc., The greatest export for Botswana would be to become a net exporter of skills, learning, and qualifications, yes. i.e. a net importer of other countries' money. Yes. Because when you look now, it, the current state that is happening, we see a lot of um, nurses now or people in the health sector leaving Botswana to your UKs. And that is something that I think uh, we are slowly losing, you know, high value talent in the country, which could be, you know, coming back to develop these different sectors that we talk about. That, that could be temporary because uh, most countries uh, in, in the Western dominated economies have a surplus of jobs. There just are not enough people to get into the jobs. Yeah. So they're offering free training and they're, you know, accelerating all the qualifications that they need. There are a lot of jobs and very few people. Yeah. I think that is a result of a, maybe a distortion that crept in uh, and will correct itself. 
So I don't see us becoming like Philippine or Cuba where we create uh, whole sectors and export them. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, uh, better to have brain drain than brain down the drain because we are only 2.3 million people. Yeah. Uh, what do you do when everyone's, when there's sort of one nurse per, per 150 people? In Italy, there's one architect per 400 people. So yeah. there's definitely an oversupply of design. Yeah. We, we need to really balance the export of services such that people can come here for health services in a health hub and fully employ our nurses here and pay for that with foreign currency. Uh, so we need to really think of ourselves as exporting through importing yeah. people in need of our services. Yeah. So, so, so what would you say that uh, would be the challenge uh, with the system of learning? I assume there should be some sort of challenge that we should uh, be prepared for. Every change has a challenge. Um, the, the biggest challenge in change is to keep the stakeholders of the process uh, seeing value in one another yeah. and not deciding they should go alone. In adopting a common method so that they all come with an agreed upon approach. Yeah. And then adopting a stopping point so that when the project is done, we sit together and we make the next project rather than somebody else in the project, standing on the project and shooting ahead to an opportunity. So aligning the stakeholders of a project is always the biggest challenge, but it's not impossible, yeah. especially in a country based upon uh, discussion and consensus and, and essentially friendliness rather than uh, confrontation. The next biggest problem, uh, I guess, is um, to, to use the huge capacity we already have uh, to bring about the Work Integrated Learning Program because uh, it's bigger than the mandate of any single ministry. It requires the coordination between ministries. Yeah. It requires the coordination between uh, agencies such as the HRDC and the BQA. It requires uh, like-minded interpretation uh, of, of how to manage this and take it into the sectors. That's where uh, an organization like Business Botswana is very important because they've been the, the association managing the market and commercial change in the country for a long time. And then you need access to third stream funding because this is not something that can be entirely driven by investors or by public funds. And that's where organizations like foundations, for example, the UB Foundation, uh, has got an enormous scope, an enormous reach into the global third stream funding conversation. So I think if we keep these elements aligned, they all have more than enough capacity to do the job. It's simply a matter of managing them uh, in a network and in a, in a single uh, project at a national level. So I think that's, that's really the job. Um, the current status as we see it, how would you actually go about introducing uh, that education hub and what are the components that were within um, that hub? Well, first of all, an education hub is like a, a very big shopping mall <clears throat> Uh, in that you would have the landlord yeah. or the landlady uh, who curates the whole hub. And then you would look about 
the kinds of qualifications, courses, research that you need in the national interest. And then you would invite the best of the world's institutions to come and provide just that. Yeah. Um, and of course, 2.3 million people cannot feed an education hub where you have an MIT or University of Toronto or University of Bologna or whatever. The static region of maybe 230, uh, maybe 320 million people, the size of America, yeah. can feed uh, such a hub. Yeah. So it would be an attractor uh, of people seeking skills and qualifications in partnership uh, with um, the organizations there and maybe the University of Botswana or an anchor organization that is the tenant uh, and the landlord. Yeah. All right. Now let's get now to uh, the system that we are trying to, to build. When you look at the unemployment problem now, and there is still a lot of other youngsters who are growing into the economy and they need to, by the time they graduate or they finish with their studies, they should be able to, in some way, either innovate or be absorbed into um, the, the, the workforce and the labor market, right? And I think that would introduce something like lifelong learning um, so that they could tap on that West are still very, very young. How can we approach um, such an introduction of such a concept of lifelong learning to uh, these youngsters? Well, we are fortunate to have a very courageous Minister of Education uh, who seems to have embraced his new uh, mandate yeah. um, very, very seriously and very quickly. And that is lifelong learning, which means that you have to manage the relationship between the life course of a citizen, what yeah. happens and where they want to be, and the workforce, in other words, the career opportunities available to them. And lifelong learning has to find a way to keep these things accessible to one another. Yeah. And I believe that th this is very well understood by our Honorable Minister of Education and his team. We also have two key institutions that can really accelerate this, as I said, the HRTC and the BQA. Yeah. But my personal concern is with the loss of young people from the high school system, I think that is a serious hemorrhage. Uh, people who've made it all the way to being graduates have several advantages and they can be easily brought into uh, economic opportunity. But our greatest concern should be with the people uh, who are not retained yeah. by the schooling system because we can't automatically assume that they'll be very happy learning a skill or a craft or blah, 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 in this old Charles Dickens way of thinking about skills. Yeah. Uh, we have to have multiple ways of coming into the knowledge base of the country. And somebody who maybe drops out of school but becomes very good or drops out of school in order to become very good at something, Yeah. say a Lewis Hamilton, you don't want to make him pass a driving exam. Yeah. So the, the, the point would be to have enough recognition of prior learning or the ability to accredit certain capabilities that people come with to get them onto a ladder where they could uh, get into the work integrated learning system or even begin the work integrated learning system in high schools. So high school uh, learners 
could exit high school with even one or two national diplomas. Yeah. Um, and of course, the high schools uh, and all of the education system is, I think, under under a very enlightened review. Um, so combined, we shouldn't be losing anyone. We shouldn't be leaving anyone behind. And I think that's the objective of work integrated learning, to be so broadly thinking that we do not leave anyone behind. Yeah. It shouldn't be too hard for yeah. a big family of 2.3 million. Yeah. Isn't uh, lifelong learning, TVET, is it not um, doing that which is supposed to, for people who were sort of like marginalized by the theoretical ways of learning? I don't really <laughs> see it. I don't see it in those terms. Yeah. I, I think these are like t- Tony Blair era terms. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's again a management problem. Anything can become a resource if you can manage it. You know, strawberry flavored ice yeah. becomes a slush puppy yeah. because some somebody managed it to be on sale in a cup. Yeah. So the truth is, unless we, you know, um, have the managerial systems uh, to see our our citizens as resources, as human capital, yeah. and protect them as such. Yeah. Um, inst- more institutions uh, are not going to be what helps. We really need to start replacing institutions with systems. And uh, the systems are really what you need to create the projects to include human capital. Right. Uh, thank you very much for having a conversation with us, uh, Prof. Just in closing, uh, your your last words uh, to your dear viewers and listeners on how you know we could uh, approach this so that we could all of us have some sort of ownership or contribution to making this a success. You put me on the spot uh, <laughs> with the last words. My last words are, are these, um, have absolute confidence in yourselves because I have absolute confidence in this country. This country can lead SEDEC. Yes. See what you have, believe in what you have, work with what you have, and you will get what you want but believe in yourselves. All right. Thank you very much, Professor JP. Uh, Thank you very much to you also, dear uh, viewers and listeners of the Combo Lounge podcast. Remember to continue engaging with us on our different social media platforms using the hashtag Combo Lounge Africa or sending us a WhatsApp on our WhatsApp line, which is plus 267-7651-992. Bye. Convo Lounge. Expression, exposure, experience.